Thank you so much for our country. I thank you for placing each and every one of us here in this country and, and just your grace, uh, the fact that we are here and we have these freedoms. I thank you for those people who, who have fought for these freedoms, to defend them and to, uh, to keep this country going, God. Um, we know it's by your grace uh, that, that we are here and that we have this ability, and, and we're thankful for those that, that have given that sacrifice, God, to, uh, to, to keep us free. Uh, I pray for those families that uh, this weekend, this holiday, is not really a celebration. It's, it's uh, a very hard time knowing that they have loved ones who passed away fighting for this country. And, and even for those now that are deployed, uh, we think of, of Maria and, and Tyson and Charlotte. And as they are going through this time, I just pray that you would continue to, to bless them and strengthen them. Uh, but most of all, God, we just, we just want to look to you and thank you for, for the grace that you have shown us in our lives. Uh, and just the ability to come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and worship. And uh, I pray for those that are meeting all across the world today uh, who, who either had to sneak to church or uh, are, are there worshiping and, and afraid. I pray that you would give them boldness, you would give them courage, and you would give them peace. We pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. All right, Children's Church, you can be dismissed. You can go on out to your lesson. Uh, while they are going out, uh, we also want to, to make mention of the fact that uh, Pastor Jeremy is, is on vacation. Uh, so I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to be here and to open the word with you guys this morning. It is, if I get this correct, Pastor Jeremy and Allison's 20th anniversary. Um, this week, so they're celebrating that, and we can remember them and, and, and uh, just be thankful for them and all that, be, be praying for them during this time while they are uh, having this, this little break here this week. So uh, be praying for them and, and all of that, and they will be back with us next week to start off our summer schedule and care groups. Uh, I don't think it was mentioned, but with the care groups, we are meeting in here, uh, 6 o'clock, and uh, we're bringing chips and dip Okay, so bring your favorite dip uh, to share with everybody. So that's going to be uh, new. We normally haven't done food in the past on this first care group time, but we're doing food. So even if you know how care groups work and you know what care group you're going to be in and all of that, come anyway, bring some dip. It'll be fun uh, for care groups as we start off the summer. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we are continuing this series on prayer. I know it's kind of this long, drawn-out series, but uh, whenever I get the chance and don't have another assignment uh, to, to speak, whether it's uh, finishing a, a section in a book or uh, Easter Sunday like we had this year, uh, I, I like to go through a series. So this is uh, another one of the prayers of Paul. And this has kind of gotten inspiration, if you guys don't remember, from the book um, Beyond All You Could Ask or Think by Dr. Ray Pritchard. 
Uh, he was one of my professors at the Bible Institute. Uh, we actually got to see a video from him uh, this morning in Sunday school with the teenagers. Um, but Dr. Ray Pritchard, he goes through the prayers of Paul in the epistles. So we've gone through two of them already, Philippians and Colossians, the opening prayers there, um, and, and kind of seen from that. And um, we, we've kind of seen how Paul sets this standard pretty high for our prayers uh, when we, I was, I was talking with Pastor Dean after this last message that, that I, I spoke on, uh, I believe it was the, the prayer in Colossians, but we were, we were kind of talking back and forth about these prayers and comparing the way we pray to the way we see Paul having his recorded prayers. Um, it's it's kind of pitiful, right? Um, I've heard it said before that a lot of our prayers in churches are just an organ recital, right? Pray for so-and-so's liver, pray for their kidney, pray for their, you know left toenail, whatever, you know, we recite all of the organs that we're praying for. But when we see Paul's prayers, he doesn't go that direction. Um, he, he takes it uh, really to a deeper level. So we can, we can go through these and we can learn and we can see these are things we can be praying for, both for ourselves as well as for others. Um, and these are really great things we can learn from. So we're going into Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to pick up this prayer at the beginning of Ephesians. It starts in verse 15. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So there's a lot in here, okay? And, and if you've studied the book of Ephesians, you've heard sermons on the book of Ephesians, you actually see Paul really likes to go in these super compound Greek sentences, right? And so when you're reading the book of Ephesians, verses 3 through 14 are one big long sentence, or 3 through 10, sorry, are one big long sentence. And here this prayer is actually one big long sentence in Greek, okay? And that doesn't really work in English, so when we translate it, it kind of gets divided up. And you can get into this, and you can really get lost in the weeds um, of a lot of the things. But we're going to break it down really into the one main request, how that request comes about, and then the results of this. Those are the three things we're going to kind of look at today. But the first thing I want us to look at, notice he says, Paul, Paul, as he's praying, verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in, you, in my prayers. I do not cease to give thanks. So Paul never ceases to pray this. He keeps praying it over and over and over again. Uh, and we see this kind of theme throughout the New Testament. We see different things where, um, you know, we're told to pray without ceasing. 
That doesn't mean that we're constantly sitting there and we're praying all the time, right, with our eyes closed, especially while we're driving. You don't want it. That's not a good idea, okay? But it's this, this idea that the, the word, the Greek word means like one of these, you know, nagging coughs. We know that the sickness has been going around. We kind of know how that is. It's, it's just a constant cough. Um, another way, kind of more, more little modern, kind of trendy way to describe this kind of thing is having a constant conversation with someone that's going on and on, and every time you see them, you pick it back up where you left off your last conversation, uh, or even better, right, that constant text message that could expand, you know, multiple days if you're the texting type, right? Uh, it's just this constant conversation. This is the kind of prayer we should have. We see the story of, of the... Um, the, the widow who kept, you know, uh, begging and, and requesting and, and almost nagging would be kind of a, a way to say it, these prayers. Well, Paul was saying this. He says he's constantly praying. He's constantly asking God for these things. It's a constant thing. Every time he prays, it's coming up, and he's remembering his, his friends in Ephesus, and he's praying for them. He's praying this prayer. Uh, and this is something that we need to kind of keep in mind is that when we're praying, you don't pray to inform God of anything. Like sometimes we think, you know, one of two ways. Okay, I prayed it once, God knows, we're good, check it off. Well, but God is sovereign, and this is kind of the other side. So God knows everything anyway, so why do we pray? Well, we don't pray to inform God of anything. Really one of the reasons we pray, other than the fact that, you know, God's commanded us to do it, so we need to do it, is prayer really aligns our heart with God's. It's bringing us more in tune. And so the more constantly we're praying these things, especially the prayers we see in the Bible, praying along those same lines, it's bringing our heart back in line with what God wants, God's will. And so when we're praying, we're not informing God of something. We're just agreeing with Him. We're bringing ourselves back in line. We're getting that proper perspective. So Paul, as he's praying, he's, he's, he's expressing his dependence on God. And that, that is really becoming more deeply ingrained in these prayers. And so we're not informing God of anything. We're, we're praying. We're constantly praying. So let's look at this and kind of break it down. We're going to see what the one central request is, the main request, and that is the knowledge of Him. The knowledge of Him. So the one thing Paul was praying in here is that these people that he's praying for, this church in Ephesus and really you know, the churches in Asia Minor and that, that whole region, was that they would know God. They would come to know God. Let's see, here it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is verse 17, the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. That's His request, to have that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So this is the, the knowledge of God, getting to know who God is. And this really comes from, it says, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is something that comes by the Holy Spirit in our lives. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is where we get the, the wisdom just kind of like insight into who God is, and, and revelation, right? This is the idea of the apocalypse or an unveiling. So to really get to know God, we need to have the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we, we have that, that wisdom and the, the unveiling, the Spirit 
reveals to us who God is. Well, how does the Spirit reveal to us who God is? Not by talking to us. Seth, Harold. No, that's not how it works. We, we have the Spirit unveiling who God is through His Word. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change people's lives. We, we hear this all the time. I say this all the time. So we know that, right? The Spirit reveals God to us through His Word. But this, this word here of you know, knowledge or to know is this idea of experiential knowledge. It's actually, uh, the, the Greek word is epignosis. I don't think I have it up here. We do have it up here, okay? The word is epignosis. It's an experiential knowledge to really know who God is. It's used actually in the, the first two prayers we talked about in Philippians and Colossians. It talks about this. You really get to know who someone is by, by having a relationship with them and experience with them. It's also used negatively in, in a couple different places in the Bible, talking about false teachers. Um, in Romans 10, it says that talking of these false teachers, they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. This is actually talking about the Jewish people. They have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So think about the Jews, okay? The, Paul in Romans is writing, and he's talking about his, his Jewish brothers, right? Um, eth- ethnically, they have the law, they have the temple, they can go sacrifice, all the priests are there, they know the rituals, they know all of these things, and it says they have zeal for God, right? They're really religious people, but it says, but not according to knowledge. So we see there you can have a religion without that true relationship with Christ. Uh, another place is in, in Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3.7, Paul talking about the false teachers says that they're always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So here are these people that, that they're always learning things. They're studying things. They're, they're coming up filling their heads with, with knowledge, but they never really arrive at, and this is the Greek word, the, the experiential knowledge of the truth. They've never experienced salvation. They've never really had that relationship with God. So this is the thing that separates a head knowledge from a true knowledge of who God is. Separates the head knowledge from a a true experiential knowledge of who God is. Knowing God is about having a relationship with Him. So think about this. When I I talk about quiet time with our teenagers or, or anybody I'm teaching how to have a quiet time and all that, I explain it like you're having a conversation with someone. Because that's what quiet time is, right? Your daily devotions, that's your, your time with God developing that relationship, right? You pray and you talk to God, He talks to you through His Word. And then you pray and talk to God, and then He talks to you through His Word. And you're having that conversation, that back and forth. It's a relationship. And so Paul here, his prayer is that because of the, the, the Spirit giving us through His Word that, that revelation, the wisdom to come to the knowledge of who God is, to really experience that through our relationship with God. Another way to kind of look at this is, is the idea of, uh, you know, knowing about someone and actually knowing who someone is, really. Um, I was reading a story of a, a pastor who's of a big church. I forget now off the top of my head where he's a pastor. It's someplace in California. And so obviously there's, you know, lots of famous people that will come through his church and all this. And there was this one guy who was, you know, a, a, an actor 
on a TV show, and so they have these, you know, fan forums, and they have all of these, you know, fan pages and things about him, and the Facebook stuff, and the, everybody knows lots of things, you know, his favorite color, his birthday, his whatever, this and all this stuff. Um, and this pastor was invited to this, this actor's, one of these meet and greets with him. And, and all of these fans were around, and they were answering trivia, and they, these people knew a lot about this guy. But when the pastor was sitting there, and he was, he was talking to his, his friend, the member of his church, who's an actor, and he's like, these people know lots about you, but they don't actually know who he is, right? They don't actually have a relationship with this person. So it's really possible for us, as Christians even, to know a lot about God, but to have a really shallow relationship with Him. It's possible for us to know a lot about God, but have a really shallow relationship with Him. I mean, it'd be pretty sad if I could tell you all these things about my wife, right? Uh, you know, where she grew up and all this and, and all of these fun things. But then, you know, if we go home to our house and we just sit there and like, we never talk. And we just sit there and, you know, okay. I, and I, we don't talk to each other. We don't have that relationship going on. And I could know a lot of stats about her. But if I didn't actually know her and know who she is, what makes her tick, right? Then that, that would be a really sad situation. And a lot of Christians are like that. Maybe we have gotten saved, right? So we really are Christians. But if we don't have that personal relationship with God that we're constantly cultivating, then we really don't have a relationship with Him that goes deep. And so Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that they would know God. They would really have a deep relationship with Him that goes beyond just the surface level stuff you learn in Sunday school, but then goes into an understanding of who God is, how He provides for you. And the way this comes, we've already said it, is from God's Word, but the, the means to coming to a knowledge of God is having the eyes of your heart enlightened. You keep reading, that's, that's what he says, right? Um, the, giving a, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. It all comes back to the heart, right? The heart is the, the seat of who the person really is, right? Um, and so your, your heart has eyes, right? We see this figuratively, being able to see, being able to understand things. Um, and when you read through the New Testament, you see the sad fact that a lot of people specifically those who are unsaved, don't have the eyes of their heart enlightened. Their eyes aren't open. They can't really understand things spiritually. It's talked, you know, figuratively it says the Gentiles, but that would be unsaved people. A couple of these passages, I'm going to throw them up here on the screen um, first. The eyes of your heart need to be opened for you to be able to receive truth, right? You can have your, your quiet time every day and not really understand it, and not really get anything out of it if the eyes of your heart are not open to receive that truth. Here's, here's what it says in Ephesians. Uh, this is Ephesians 4, verses 17 and 18. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of their heart. 
So we see that, you know, without the eyes of your heart enlightened, you can't understand things that are spiritual. Uh, that's what it's saying here. They've darkened in their understanding. Um, they, they can't understand these spiritual things. In the book of Acts, Paul, when he's giving his testimony, uh, is, is explaining it this way. Um, one of his uh, interactions with, with Jesus, and it, it says in Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So here we see that, that idea that someone can't even get saved unless God opens their eyes, right? And when God opens their eyes, that's when they can turn from light, darkness to light, from the power of Satan into God. They can receive that forgiveness of sins and be sanctified. And Jesus himself in, in John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So let's just kind of stop here for a second, because this is a really important thing for us to understand. In our last Teen Parent Sunday School and, and a lot through uh, the, the school year, we've been talking about what is known by, by Dare to Share as the cause circle. And this is an idea of, you know, just kind of this process you go through when you're sharing the gospel with someone. And when you share the gospel with someone, there's, there's three kind of parts of this cycle. Prayer, care, and share. So first, you, you pray for them that they get saved. Then you, you share the love of Christ with them. And a lot of times we kind of want to stop there. You just think we're going to love them to Jesus, right? We, we sh share, show the love of Christ, care for them. But then the last step is share, right? You share the gospel out loud with words. But one of the main parts of that is that prayer part of the cycle, right? And you keep going through that cycle. You've got somebody you want to share the gospel with, whether it's a family member, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, whoever, some random person on the plane sitting next to you, um, you can go through this cycle really quickly, right? Um, but the main part of that is, is prayer because our words mean nothing. It's God working in their hearts. And we've seen from these verses, right? Their eyes have to be open for them to receive the truth, to understand the truth. And so we are fully dependent on God to work in their hearts to draw them, to open their eyes so that they can understand the gospel when we share it. And then that's God working in their hearts through the gospel to, to draw them and bring them to Him. So this is a very important part of this. Whether we're praying this prayer here for ourselves, right? We need to have our eyes open. But when we're praying it for other people, especially if they aren't saved, we're praying, God... They need to know you. They need to have a relationship with you. God, open their eyes. Open their eyes so that they can understand the gospel. The eyes of their heart need to be enlightened. I would ask you guys, when the seven of us go to Jamaica here in a couple of weeks, that that is one of the prayers you pray for us. That as we go and we take the gospel, we're going to be going into public schools, we're going to be going you know, out in open air uh, in the, the, the main touristy area and, and sharing the gospel with people. And that's one of the main prayers. On those days, we need 
is that God is working in people's hearts and even already preparing them to accept the gospel message when we share it with them. But we can also turn this, okay? We've been looking at the, the side of, uh, okay, you know, somebody's unsaved, they need their eyes open so that they can understand the gospel. But this also kind of goes to us as Christians. Every step of the day, we need to have our eyes enlightened, right? Our eyes spiritually open to receive and understand the truth. Again, when I teach about quiet time, this is one of the verses I love uh, to, to share with people. This is Psalm 119, 18. David's praying, or um, not David, Ezra. Depends on who you think wrote Psalm 119. He's praying and says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Even as believers, we need this prayer for us. That we, when we read God's Word, have through the Spirit that understanding to know what this means. To understand it, to interpret it correctly, and apply it to our lives. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Again, like I said, I, I kind of stumbled there on who wrote Psalm 119. And there's a lot of debate on that back and forth, whether it was David, whether it was Ezra, whatever. Whoever wrote this psalm obviously had an intimate knowledge of God's Word. Uh, if it was you know, David, think of all the psalms, that, you know, a man after God's own heart. And if he's the one that wrote this, if you're on that side of the fence, uh, then, then he's the one, okay? The man after God's own heart even had to pray, God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. If you're on the side of, of Ezra, which is that's kind of where I would fall on this one, okay? Ezra, he was a leader of God's people after they came back from, uh, from Babylon. He was there. He was teaching. He, he very possibly compiled the Old Testament kind of in the order that we have it today and, and organized some of these things. And even he had to pray and say, God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So I encourage people when they open their Bibles every morning or evening, if you're one of those people, have your quiet time in the evening. I can't. I'll fall asleep. Um, I have to do it in the morning. When you open your, your Bible to have your quiet time, pray this verse. Pray this verse to God and say, God, open my eyes so that I can understand this. Open my eyes so that I can get to know you better. Because that's what this is about, right? Paul's prayer here in Ephesians God, I want to know you, and I want to know you because you've opened my eyes and I can understand these things from your word. You've revealed yourself to me through your word. So, if this happens, if we get to know God because our eyes are open spiritually by the Spirit, He's revealed Himself to us through His word, what are the results going to be? We, we see three of them, okay? The results. What are the results going to be? The first one is that we really understand the hope that we have in God. We really understand our hope in God. Uh, that's, the, that's the first one he says here. To know what is the hope to which he has called you. Um, really looking forward to our, our hope in heaven. In Romans, and I don't know if I put this. I did put this up there. Look. Romans 8, this is what Paul says. 
We just read this in quiet time, by the way, if you're following in the Word of Life quiet time. Romans 8, verse 22, it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But we have hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. So really understanding this hope, this idea of, of hope, right? It's, it's here in Romans, he's talking about creation itself is groaning, waiting for the ultimate perfection when Christ comes. We ourselves understand what that's like. And we, we feel it, and we, we, we're hoping, we're waiting for it. But this idea of hope, right, in the English language, we kind of mess it up. We think, you know, I hope something good happens, and we're thinking, eh, it might happen, it might not happen, whatever. Uh, the, the way I like to think about it is, uh, does, do any of you obsessively watch the uh, tracking numbers of packages that you've ordered? Anybody? Okay, a couple people nodding their heads. Thank you. I obsessively, okay, this idea of hope, this expectant waiting, you know it's going to happen, uh, but you're not quite sure when. So that wouldn't be the Amazon free two-day prime shipping, okay? Because you know that it's going to be there in two days or one day, right? Or same day if you're in some of these big cities. But, okay, this is, this is like uh, watching the tracking number on a package coming with the postal service at Christmas time. <laughs> you know it'll get there. You're just not sure when, right? Uh, we ordered something. Uh, it was a Christmas gift for my mother-in-law. And we ordered it, and we're watching, and it got transferred from FedEx to the Postal Service in Fayetteville. And then it just sat there, right? And then I'm one of those people. I, every day I'm checking, well, where is it? It says it's going to be delivered tomorrow. Tomorrow comes. Nope, it's still in Fayetteville. And just kind of went over and over and over again. I call the Postal Service. I'm like, it's been there for over a week. What's going on? I don't know where it is. Okay. Eventually it'll show up. It did show up, and it did show up before Christmas, right? But this is that idea of hope. Okay, I know it's going to get here eventually, but I don't know when. Think about the rapture. Okay? We can study the rapture, we can see it, and we know it's going to happen. And it could happen at any minute. We just don't know when. Christ is coming back. And we have that hope. We don't see it. We can't check our tracking number on Jesus coming back. right? But we, we're hoping for it. Not that we're not sure, we're expecting we're ready. It could happen at any minute. That postal service guy could show up and drop it on your porch. And if the kids are asleep, he'll ring the doorbell. If the kids are awake, he'll just leave it and he won't even knock. Okay? Um, that's something that I don't know how they know the kids are asleep when they do that. But we have this hope. And when we really understand who God is, and we're having that deep relationship with him based on God's word, then we look more and more forward to Him coming back. And we understand that. We really understand that hope that we have in heaven with Him one day. Then the next thing is that we'll understand our riches in Christ. We understand our riches in Christ. That's the next thing He says. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? We understand our riches in Christ. And to really get this, you actually have to back up because that's what 
most of chapter 1 in Ephesians is about. So look, look up there. I don't have it on the screen, but look up all the way to, to verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for the adoption of sons to Himself through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of His will, who works in all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory." You can go through that and it would take months to really unpack all of these things and what they mean. Um, it, it would take forever just to go through them. I was, uh, it, when I was in college, I, I met with uh, this one guy for, for discipleship and, and he and I went through this passage and I think it, we went, took a whole semester basically and every time we met, we're like, okay, what's this next phrase? What does this mean? What do they think? And we studied it together. But, I mean, you can see all of these things, the spiritual blessings that he talks about, being chosen, being predestined, being adopted, having redemption, having forgiveness of sins, him lavishing on us all of these things, the, the wisdom, the insight, knowing the mystery of his will, having this inheritance. These things are so awesome. The whole sealing of the Holy Spirit is in there. All of these things we have, we have. As believers, we have them. And the more we get to know who God is and what He's done for us, the more we understand these riches and what, what they mean for us. Uh, Warren Wearsby, in his commentary on Ephesians, uh, he actually told this story. He said there was a, a late newspaper publisher, William Randolph Hearst, and he invested a fortune collecting art treasures from around the world. One day, Mr. Hurst found a description of some valuable items that he felt he must own. So he sent his agent abroad to find them. After months of searching, the agent reported that he had finally found the treasures. They were in Mr. Hurst's warehouse. Hurst had been searching frantically for treasures he already owned. He had, had he read the catalog of his own treasures... He would have saved himself a great deal of money and trouble. So think about that. This guy pays for this one guy to go around and find these art treasures, and they're already in his own warehouse. We as Christians do that sometimes. We don't realize the riches we have in Christ, and we go searching for them elsewhere. If we had just 
read in God's Word the treasures that we have, it would have saved us a lot of time. We can go through, we can read these things, we can see and we can understand the riches we have in Christ because of who He is and what He's done for us. So that's the second thing. We understand our hope in God. We understand our riches in Christ. And then we understand the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the strength that God provides for us. Uh, Look at verse 19 again. I think I've got it up here. He says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might? And when we read this in English, the translators have done a good job making it understandable for us, okay? But in Greek, there's a bunch of different Greek words that Paul all kind of like piles together on top of each other to, to explain this because it's almost like he's, he's kind of without words to, to humanly describe the power of God that we have access to. So he, he throws these up. I'm just going to put them all up on the screen. Um, I know they're, they're probably a little small, but that's all right. He uses these words. He calls it immeasurable greatness. Those two words are where we get the English word of of hyperbole and mega, right? So those are the two kind of Greek words that we kind of get the English from. Hyperbole, right? You're describing something and exaggerating it over and above. I know you guys never hear me use hyperbole ever, and I'm never sarcastic either, okay? Right, so hyperbole, right? The, The immeasurable, it's over and above, right? And then his greatness, this is the, the, really the Greek word of, of mega. So it's really big, right? So over and abovely big, okay? Immeasurable greatness. And then he uses different words for, for the power, right? They're translated power, working, and great might. But the, the first time you see power in English, it's where we get the, the English word for dynamite. Any pyros out there that like to... See things explode, right? Quinn, Quinn was got, got the little finger up. Yes, we know, you're a pyro. Okay, so you like to see things explode. There's a lot of power in dynamite, right? You can blow things up. That's that power that we have. The idea that it's working in us. It's the idea of energy. It's actually Greek, energia, right? Energy. We have energy. We have power. And then the, the great might the word great is actually this, this idea of a controlling power, right? Almost like a political power or an authoritative power. You can make stuff happen. So he has great might. He can, he can make things happen because he has might, the muscular strength to do it. So you see all of these things. It's over and abovely big, all of his his dynamite energy and his muscular strength that he can make things happen. That's what he's saying here, okay? That's, there you go. That's the Nathan Deck translation. But we have access to this power. And the, the greatest illustration of this power we see here in Ephesians, he goes on and say, says that this is the great power working with his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So if you think you're weak, you think you can't do it, you're coming up against a challenge, you're right, you can't in yourself. 
But if you were at uh, Wayne Christian's graduation on Friday, uh, you, Dr. Shook was there speaking, uh, and, and he, he was reading out of Ephesians, but this is actually the second prayer in Ephesians, there in Ephesians chapter 3, talking about, to him who can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. And Dr. Shook challenged the graduates, and he said, you can, because God can, and God lives in you. I can because God can because God lives in me. Here we see this power, this power that is so amazing, it's dynamite, that's the energy I need, and that is the power that raised Christ from the dead. That same power we have access to. But again, too often we as Christians look at ourselves we look at the world around us or the people around us. And hopefully as a church, we're, we're there for each other and we're helping each other, but the power is not in each other. The power is not in ourselves. It's in God. That's where the power comes from. And we have access to that power to work through us. So when we're up against something and we seem weak, it's because we're looking at the wrong place. We should be looking at Him. So when we pray these things, and we're praying and we're saying, God, I want to know You. I want to really have that deep relationship with You. Open my eyes so that I can know who You are and have that deep relationship with You. And when that happens, the results will be, we'll, we'll understand that hope that we have in Him. We have hope for tomorrow. We have hope for today. We have so many great riches We've got this power. This is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. I can because God can because God lives in me. Right? He's the one working. It's because He lives in me and He makes us adequate, it says elsewhere in the New Testament. He's made us adequate. So our relationship with Christ is the core of, of everything. Right? And it's the core of this prayer. We need God to open our eyes to, to reveal Christ to us in our daily devotions through His Word, our relationship with Him. And the more we get to know Christ, the more we understand our future hope, our riches, the power we have access to. This, guys, is a prayer worth praying. This is a prayer worth praying for, for ourselves first. God, open my eyes. I want to know you. And it's a prayer that's worth praying for other people. Pray it for other people in, in the church. Pray it for your friends, your family. Those who are unsaved, they need a relationship with Christ. And they need God to do an amazing work. And then they will have access to that same power, those riches, and have that same hope that we have. So let's do that now. Let's close in a word of prayer. And pray that God would do this in us. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the example that we have in, in the Apostle Paul and the prayers that he prayed for those uh, that he ministered to. God, I pray for us. I pray that 
we would know you. We'd really know you. Our, our relationship with you would be deep and vibrant. God, I pray that you would open our eyes. Give us understanding as we read your word. Give us understanding to know what, what this word means and how we can apply it to, to our lives each and every day. But most importantly, that we can get to know who you really are. And as we get to know you better, God, I just pray that we would have that hope, we would understand it, we would see it, and then it would change our lives. God, I pray that we would see those riches that you have lavished on us and that you would work that amazing power through us. You'd work that out in our lives. And that, in turn, would, would help our relationship blossom even further. God, I pray for those that we come in contact with, that you would already be working in their hearts. Specifically, God, the, the friends, the family, the co-workers that we need to be a witness to, God, I pray that you would already be working in their hearts, drawing them to yourself, and that you would use us to take the gospel to them. I pray for those in Jamaica that our missions team will come in contact with this summer, uh, just a couple of weeks away. I pray that you'd already be working in their hearts, opening their eyes, drawing them to yourself so that they would be ready. The, the harvest would be ready to be brought in as we work alongside uh, our brothers and sisters at Bay Life there in Montego Bay. God, I just pray for us that you would open our eyes so that we can see the wonderful things out of your law and that you would just glorify yourself through all of this as we as individuals and as a church grow closer to you, that you would get all the praise and glory. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen.